welcome to the State of Florida Sports Podcast, presented by the USA Today Network. Here's your host, Tim Walters. It's been more than 20 years since the University of Miami won its last national championship. Since their last title in 2001, the Hurricanes have been at 16 bowl games, going 4-12, and including a span from 2008-15 to where they lost six consecutive bowl games when they actually made one. They did make a bowl game last season and lost four consecutive bowls over the four years before that. To say this once-elite program has lost its luster is a big understatement. But for the umpteenth time over the last 20 years, Miami fans are saying the U is back. They got their coach, Mario Cristobal, and they have one of their better recruiting classes in recent memory. They also have a quarterback in Tyler Van Dyke, who is growing in stature among NFL scouts. So, are the Canes back? Or is it another year that starts off hopeful, but will end in disappointment? To help sort this out, I welcome in Tom D'Angelo, sports writer and columnist for the Palm Beach Post. Tom's been following the Hurricanes, and he's here today to tell us what is real and what is not. Hello again, everybody. I'm Tim Walters, and thank you once again for joining me on the State of Florida Sports Podcast, powered by the USA Today Network. This podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. Our Florida Network consists of 17 news sites that encompass the state. We encourage you to subscribe to your hometown newspaper, and of course, this podcast to help support the incredible journalism done by our talented staffs. Tom D'Angelo has been following the Hurricanes since training camp, and he's been impressed by the strides the team has made since last year. Let's see if he thinks this is the Hurricanes team that will return the program to prominence. Tom, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Tim. It's great to be on again. All right, well, let's get right down to it here. You know, it's hard to get a sense of who this Hurricanes team is. They start out where they soundly defeat Bethune-Cookman 70-13. to Last week, they start out slow. They're actually losing early to Southern Miss, but then they come back and win 30-7. to So Texas A&M is going to be their first real test. But then the Aggies get upset by that always pesky Appalachian State who's always beating somebody, you know, whether it be Michigan, A&M now. It's crazy what they do. So this is still going to be a good game. It's moved the line, but the Aggies are still favored by five and a half. So talk about what the Hurricanes are facing this weekend and where do you think this team is right now? Well, it, it's like you said, it, it's really hard to judge when you play, when you open against Bethune-Cookman and you score 70 points without they they could have they would have won that game with their backups. I mean, no, I mean seriously, if they just start sat every starter, they still would have won that game. That's just and that's that's just the way it is. But that's college football now. That's what you know. That that's what a lot of teams do. They open up with a FCS opponent. That FCS opponent, it's valuable for them. They get a lot of money. It helps their financial situation with their athletic departments, uh, and they kind of have a glorified scrimmage. Last week is a little. You know, a step up in competition, not not a whole lot. Southern Miss is not a really good program right now, um, but it was a little concerning with what you saw the first half. I and I wrote this. I wrote, you know, it, it could have you could easily excuse a slow start for a quarter. It was a noon kick. It's the week before playing Texas A&M. At that point, Texas A&M had not lost a game yet. They were ranked number six uh, it, by. Easily, I mean, no, no, no question. One of the top two games, the biggest game of the early part of the schedule, and when you add Clemson, one of the two 
biggest games of the year. And so Mario Cristobal's first defining game. You can understand a slow start. But, Tim, when it went into this, you know, when it went to the end of the first half and it's 7-3 before they before they scored late and they started a run of 27 straight points, it took them a full half to wake up. And there were just some concerning signs. And, you know, is is that if if it's something that they could easily correct and Mario Cristobal could use that this week as teaching moments and it's not like it's not something that's um, that gives us a, you know, something to come the next week. Maybe it's good. Maybe you can use that. But if this is kind of what we're going to see and if this is we, we don't know. And if this is the Hurricanes team where there are these flaws, well, that that doesn't bode well for games against A&M and Clemson and a few others in the schedule. No, no, I agree. And, you know, I miss those days. And, and this is obviously almost two decades past now. But when Florida State was, you know, in the top five, Miami's in the top five, and they start out against each other, that first game of the season used to mean something and you learn something from it. Well, now it's going to take us a couple of weeks, but we'll find out this weekend. And obviously, Tyler Van Dyke's Miami's biggest talking point and the redshirt sophomore. He came in last year for the injured De'Eric King, went six and three. He had six straight games of at least 300 yards past passing and three touchdown passes. He's now 2-0 and this season. So when you watch Van Dyke play, do you see a future NFL quarterback? I do. I think with his size, his uh, his strength, uh, his, his arm strength, I, I think he is a future NFL quarterback. Um, I don't think he's played great the start of this year. Uh, but, you know, coming on the kind of in the offseason season things you saw where scouts said, Hey, he's, he just needs need more seasoning. He needs to be able to read the defenses better and have kind of a more awareness on the field. And that would come and you expect that to come with experience. I'm not going to, you know, judge his entire season here by two games. Uh, like you said, he played what these, you know, took over. They, I think he played nine games last year. He started nine games. So, so it, it's pretty good sample size, but not even a full year. So, you know, he's played two more. He's played about a year now of college football. Um, so from this point on, you need to see some improvement, but it, again, what he did against Bethune Cookman, I just throw and what anybody did against Bethune Cookman, it's a scrimmage Southern missed the first half. And even going through the full game, he wasn't, he was not sharp. He threw a, t- he had an interception threw a touchdown pass, um, should have had two interceptions. And when he got that break, when they dropped a, a potential pick late in the first half, that's. That got kind of Miami. They they took advantage of that, went in and scored. That's when they took the lead for good and started their run of, I think it was 27 straight points. So uh, a little bit of a slow start to me, um, but I, I still see I still see that potential. You know, it's hard. Um, if you, we can't start judging these kids like one game, two games. Look at Anthony Richardson. Last week he was a Heisman Trophy, Trophy finalist. And now what is he in this year's, you know, this week, it's like he's off the list. I mean, we go start going game to game. I see I see the overall uh, the overall resume from the start of last year when he took over to till now. I see an NFL, a future NFL quarterback, but uh, he's going to have to improve. And, and, and that's that's also expecting him to kind of improve and to get better with this experience and start moving up. I'm not sure he's he's not a first round pick right now. Probably not a second round pick, but with his size and with his arm strength, if things go accordingly, you know, he can move up until maybe the second round, I think, by the end of this year. And my expectation is he does go at the end of this year and we'll see where he goes. 
Yeah, eight and three is not a bad record for a guy who nobody was even uttering his name at this point last year. So, you know, but as far as other players on Miami go, everybody talks about Tyler Van Dyke, but you don't hear a lot of other names. So who are some other players on this team that maybe we should know about? Well, you know, they've had a they've had a decent running game, although Mario Cristobal did say he wants to see them run harder. Um, uh, they've had a they've had a nice start, nice start to the season running. Henry Parrish has had a good start. He's now they had they have some death problems at running back because of injuries. And Jalen Knighton was supposed to be the uh, the the top you know coming back. He was the most experienced guy coming back. He's been dinged up, but uh, Henry Parrish has filled in, and Thaddeus Franklin have filled in, and their running game has been pretty good. Parrish has been actually very surprisingly good. He's averaging um, he's had two hundred. He has uh, ninety seven yards last game, two hundred five for the year. So the running game has been pretty good. And I think last week what we saw with the running game. The improvement is Zion Nelson came back, and Zion Nelson is by far their best offensive lineman. Uh, he was out with an injury the first game, Bethune. They didn't they didn't need him, and they didn't need to uh, take any chances with him. So he got back and got some play, which was hugely important last week, having him get in there and get some reps and just get his feet wet on the season with with Texas A and M coming up. So the the offensive line uh, they that needs improvement. Tyler Van Dyke was sacked four times last week. That's not good. And I mentioned this when you have you're playing against a bunch of three stars at Southern Miss, and they got through. They penetrated, and they kind of first half they they really got the advantage in the offensive line. That does not bode well for when you're playing against. No matter what we've seen from Texas A&M this year, but you know they're just a bunch of they're a bunch of studs. They're a bunch of highly recruited guys who can who. You know, probably will, especially now with an angry Texas A&M team. You got to expect that they're going to be at their best. So the the offensive line has to has to shore up a little bit. Defensively, I love um, number zero uh, zero Williams, and he is by far James Williams. He is by far uh, the best. Probably, but to me, he's he's a guy that you're going to see going in the first round in two years. He's going he's a second year now, so after three years, I, he'll. I'm sure he'll come out, and he'll probably be a first-rounder. He anchors that secondary. The secondary is pretty good. Tyreek Stevenson had a pick last week in the end zone. That was, again, when in a game like that was crucial because it was uh, – he kind of – that that interception made, you know, kind of sealed Southern – any chance Southern Miss had of staying in the game. Uh, but James Williams and, and, and Tyreek Stevenson and um, Cameron Kitchens, that's a pretty good secondary. So they need to get a little better play up front. They need to get a little better play out of the linebackers to – uh, Corey Flag is a linebacker, has a lot of tackles, but but their linebacker core is kind of has been very underwhelming the last two years. And you know, up front, same thing. They you know, Leonard Taylor is getting his chances. He's a sophomore, second year sophomore. He's played very well. To so keep an eye on him because as he grows and as he gets a, as he gets some uh, reps and experience, he's going to start standing out. He's probably I think he will wind up being the best player to, uh, uh, from the defensive front. All right, well, we'll see whose names we hear called this weekend as they play the Aggies. Well, before the season started, you you wrote a story where you laid out three reasons for optimism and three reasons for pessimism with the Hurricanes. Your optimism said uh, Van Dyke, a favorable schedule, and a well-assembled coaching staff. And the three reasons for pessimism were their lack of elite wide receiver play, bad tackling, and, well, it's Miami. So where have you seen improvement on the first two of those three things you're pessimistic about, the receivers and the tackling? Well, I think there's both that have been improvement. Tackling, 
Tackling showed up a little bit against Bethune, and it was early. Again, first game, I, I, you get a pass on that. You saw improvement in the second game. I think I think that will improve. Last year, it was, it was awful. It couldn't get any worse. After three games, they were the worst tackling team in the country. Uh, it was an astounding number in the 80s or something in missed tackles. Uh, it, that, and with this, with this coaching staff, and this ties in, guys like, like Kevin Steele and Charlie Strong, this kind of, uh, you know, this, this, this glitzy, glamorous, you know, elite coaching staff that Mario Cristobal hired because the university all of a sudden decided to throw resources into the program and, and spend money. Uh, he, he did that. I think he did that well. And I think that's a big reason you're going to fundamental type areas and i think you will see improvement in the tackling and 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 i believe we we did from week one to week two the 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 receivers i think they still look they they need a game breaker uh xavier restrepo is a steady receiver he's nice he kind of reminds you of um the uh you know braxton berrios of the past a slot guy uh, a, a tough guy, and he's he's going to go over the middle. He's going to catch passes, and he leads the team in in receptions. But they it, it would really help them. Brashard Smith has is is needs to come. These these other young receivers like Brashard Smith, like he like um, like Keyshawn Smith, they need to uh, they need to kind of play up to their potential. They need to get some come of the playmaking, game breaking plays, and big plays out of guys like that. Uh, Michael Redding has has had a pretty good start. He's I think he's second on the team in yard, reception yards, so he's another one who could help. But those four are going to be what you're going to see uh, most of this year, and it, it is going to be kind of the core of the receivers. Uh, you need two or three of them to kind of step up to become playmakers. We haven't seen that yet, but they are catching the ball. They had a lot of problems dropping it with drops last year, so I there is been there has been some improvement, but you. You still want to see an improvement in the big plays. Oh, certainly. So, you know, let's look at the coaching now. Uh, Mario Cristobal came in and, you know, a lot of fanfare around him, a hometown guy, you know, Cuban native, you know, big there in South Florida. But he was 24 and 47 at FIU from 2007 to 2012. He was okay at Oregon, 35 and 13 in five seasons. He won two bowls, lost two bowls. So he wasn't the hottest coaching prospect out there, but Miami really wanted to get him. And then they brought him in, and and they've certainly hyped him something incredibly. So is he overhyped? Is he the right guy for the job? Is he the one that is going to get this Miami program back to where the Miami people want to see it? Boy, that's uh, that's the the, uh, the trillion dollar question at the University of Miami. Look, we've had what three years in a row, or three three coaches in a row that have lasted three years and are gone. Mark Rick, now that was different. He kind of he resigned. He that was his decision. Um, but we have seen this for eighteen years. The excitement starting with Randy Shannon and going to Al Golden and then going to Mark Richt and going to many of the, and I've said this, the, for every time there's a coaching change, there's this excitement, uh, things are going to change and you get this massive letdown, except for the one year, Mark Rick's second year when they won their first 10 games, but that season couldn't have ended any worse. As it ended with three straight losses. They weren't even, they weren't in any of those games. That uh, was just a complete dud of an ending after a 10-0 start. So we've had nothing but disappointment. 
and you've had, you know, Mario is kind of, so So what you have, you, you, you've got a former guy who played at University of Miami and won a championship. He's a native of Miami. He's, he's, he fits in the community, loves him. He's, you know, he's, um, he coach, he has championship, he has experience head coaching in another school. He's kind of a, he's, he's kind of a combination of everything they had, right? Mark Richt, he played at UM. He wasn't born at UM, but he coached at Georgia. Manny Diaz, he didn't play at UM, but he was a, a native son, you know, and he had the, the, the great bat, the great story in the background of the family immigrating from Cuba, as 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 Mario's story is too. He's of Cuban descent, so he's kind of a combination of of these guys. Now, is is it the right one? They certainly think it it is, and I think what will determine this as much as anything is if what Mario has to his advantage that the other guys didn't have is the resources. And, and, and as I said before, and it, with all of a sudden they're throwing money, they, they're spending, there's about $16 million spent on this staff. I mean, are you kidding me? Miami, that's, that's way, that's more than twice, probably three times what they're spent on staff on the staff for the last three or four years. And that's including the head coach's salary. So Mario's making twice as much as any other coach has ever made. His assistants are, are making twice as much as any other, uh, as any other staff has made. This is where the difference is going to show if they can continue if these resources and these coaches he's hired, it's a definitely a different quality of assistant coaches here that will help. As far as Mario, we know what he is. Mario is a great recruiter. He has proven that. Um, he, it's, it's yet to be, he's, you know, he, he's a okay head coach, a game day coach. You know, he's not one of those guys you put up with the top 10 game day coaches in the country, but when you get the talent and you get the coaches he have, he has, you, you, that's probably right now as good as they could have got for this program. Yes, they wanted him. And I think a lot of that is because of what I said is just coming home and being a, being a, uh, the former hurricane, he won two championships here and having that experience. And you talk about the Big 12, but, you know, and again, I'm, I know I'm, I'm showing you all sides of this because there are all sides. There's no easy answer. The other thing is he had success. He had some success in the Pac-12, but what did he do? He won one championship, really. The, the, the second championship came in the COVID year when they weren't even supposed to be in the championship game, but they got in it because I forget the team that was ahead of them. The team ahead of them could not play because of COVID. They got in the championship game, won it, so they won the they won the Pac-10 the Pac-12 championship. So we really won one championship in four years. And we're talking about the Pac-12. You know, it's what the third, fourth, fifth best conference in the league. So he, he, he had some success in a very, very mediocre conference, but he also, but he got the kids in and, and he has shown he can recruit. And that's huge down here because as we all know, if you can recruit in Florida and he starts getting that success and starts keeping the kids at home that have been leaving and, and going to Georgia and Alabama and Clemson, and even up in the Big Ten, uh, that that will be the first step. And that makes you – you get those kids in, and all of a sudden you become a really good coach. Yeah, the question is, does he have as many coaches as the University of Florida has? Because if anybody saw that picture a couple of weeks ago that had 140 coaches, 140 coaches and 116 players, it's one of the more comical photos I've seen. So I'm curious if Miami has anything like that going on. Miami is a private university. I don't think they have as many students as Florida has coaches <laughs> at the University of Miami. 
<laughs> Good point. But you know, you mentioned you mentioned the resources. Obviously, when he was with Oregon, he had Phil Knight money, so he had Nike money behind him. Here, the NIL that's been going on, Miami seems to make waves even when things are legal. So you know, th- there was obviously a flap between them and the University of Florida with a quarterback recruit. You have this very verbose. Uh, supposed billionaire. I'm not sure if John Ruiz is a billionaire or not a billionaire. There's some discussion on that, but he's a very rich man either way, and he likes to seem to spend money. So what's going on with Miami, NIL? Why are they the ones that are always in the spotlight when most of the other teams are doing this? It is a, isn't it amazing that they cannot escape, no matter what, they, this program has been basically irrelevant, and it has been on the national scene, and that's not being, that's just the fact. If since it, for the last since joining the ACC, they have been irrelevant in the national scene. They've won ten games one year, and like I said, that season ended awful. Uh, and and that's it, one major bowl. But yet they're always in the news for something. A lot of it not good because as we've seen over the year with the the scandals and the boosters and all that. And here we have again. Now it's legal. It's it's absolutely legal. John Ruiz has done nothing illegal that we know of, and that they <laughs> and, and he's done nothing that other schools and we've read all about that that are trying to do the Texas A&Ms and uh, oh, several of them are doing, <clears throat> and, and we know it's going on. I mean, uh, I, I, a summer ago, Nick Saban, basically, what did he do when he talked about Bryce Young? Bryce Young hadn't take a snap, but he made sure every co- every high school coach in Texas knew that Bryce Young was approaching a million dollars in NIL deals before the guy, before he even took a snap uh, in the summer of 21. And, you know, that was basically throwing it out there and saying, Hey, you know, send your best quarterbacks to me. And then, and then he, and then I'm just getting off the side. Then he, and then he goes and whines about how this shouldn't be used as a recruiting, as a recruiting tactic. He's the first one who did that by telling everybody what his quarterback was getting in NIL deals. And, and it was all out. It's all out there. Just they, they put it all out there for one purpose. It's just to, you know, just to let people know, come to our school, you'll get your NIL deals. And that's what Miami has done. They've gotten it one booster. As we know Miami boosters are as passionate uh, as far as, you know, uh, now the boost, I'm not talking about the fan base. We see this story, but their boosters, the ones that really want to win, will do anything to win. And we've seen that through the years. And you get a few really rich guys who want to put their stamp on the program and they're going to they're going to do what they can. I, I, how long will this last? I don't know. How much money does John Ruiz have? I don't know. And, and we don't even know if it's. What's out there is true. Did did he get nine? Is it Rashard? Is his last name? Is it um, the quarterback who was going to go to Florida and and supposedly get an eleven million dollar deal from Florida, but took nine million from Miami, and then he came out and said none of these none of these figures are correct. Well, you know, was it eight, seven? Who knows? But it's a lot of. But he got money. We know that. And he got a lot of money to do this. So so we'll see. And the other part of this, Tim, is these people who thrown around money. Uh, how long are they going to do this if they're not getting the bang for their buck? You know, if these guys are throwing around the big, big bucks and these players are one, you know, DJ Ui Ungalale is a great example. You know, you, you put all this money into this kid and he may not be the starting quarterback in a couple of weeks. You know, so how long are they going to be taking this gamble and this risk and, throw, and throwing money around to unproven kids? That's why I wish the NIL became something and it's hard to do this. And I know and it's another conversation, but it needs to become <clears throat> the, the ideal NIL is you get to the school, you prove yourself and then all of a sudden and then you can get your NIL money, but get to the school first and kind of prove yourself and, and, and you know, you establish yourself both on and off the field and then see if you can get any mind. But 
the way they're thrown around these high, these high school kids or these kids, these recruits, uh, it's the genie's not going back in the bottle, I'm afraid. Uh, I'm still waiting for my NIL deal, Tom. And if you're out there listening and you want to hear my silky smooth voice, say your product's name, T. Walters at Gannett.com, NIL deals. <laughs> Try and chill any way we can, Tom. But, you know, I don't think we'll ever get the millions that those kids yeah, get. Yeah, well, I think people understand we're in the business where a little NIL deal might, might help us a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> So let's look at the schedule real quick before I let you go. You know, we, we've got Texas A&M coming up. But after that, Miami has a pretty easy path. You're looking at, you know, probably their hardest in the next five would be North Carolina October 8th. But they've got Middle Tennessee, a Virginia Tech team that's not very good, Duke and Virginia. But the end of the year, that's where things are going to get really interesting. Out of their last four games, you've got FSU, Clemson, and Pittsburgh. So let's start with FSU. When you look at these two teams, and we haven't seen a ton out of FSU. They obviously have that big win against LSU a couple of weeks ago, and and they played a cupcake to start their season. But who do you look at between Miami and FSU and say, this looks like the better team right now? Right now, um, (laughs) I think at this moment, Florida State does because they were able to, only because of the quality of the opponent. We don't know what Miami what they would have done against a quality opponent of LSU. If they played the way they played last week, they probably wouldn't have beat LSU. Um, so we have that, you know, we have that on tape. We know what Florida State can do against a, a quality opponent like LSU. And, you know, I know they're not a top 25 team, but it's much far better quality that Miami has played. And But if you told me right now who, who will win that game today, I'd take the home team. And the game right now is in Miami, so I'd take the home team, just kind of like last year. I think the Florida State won the game. They were at home, and they were probably pretty even coming in because of the way Florida, both teams turned their season around midway through the season, and they were both on the upswing. They were both, uh, you know, feeling good about themselves after rocky starts, and Florida State was able to kind of ri- ride that momentum at home. And, and you know, if, if this game was being played this week, Florida, Miami would probably be a three-point favorite. I think Miami – but you're right. And, and the reason why, for optimistic, you know, that – uh, an eight and four season, even a nine and three is possible is because of the schedule. You look at it and all you see are two. And even this week, you know, it, it's not as it's not as kind of lopsided as you thought it might be right now. It, it's it's not as sure as you thought it might be. But you look at it and they're probably not going to win at Texas A&M. They're probably not going to win at Clemson. So you see two games. And you say, yeah, those are losses. There's not another game there where you can say right now that's a loss. But it's Miami, and I've seen this, and I've seen this. I do expect another one or two. If it's one more, it's nine and three. If it's two more, it's eight and four. I think anything less than eight and four would probably be a, a disappointment. If they lose five games this year, even if there's a bowl game and it's five five losses, I think that will be a disappointment. But I think it's very possible because after Florida State, you're right, Clemson, it, it, Pittsburgh could be a huge game. Ending the season against Pittsburgh at home, I think is going to de- determine who goes to the ACC championship game. Yeah, and Pittsburgh lost a heartbreaker last weekend. But, you know, you mentioned Clemson. You know, let, let's not chalk that up as a victory because, like you said, their starting quarterback's not playing very well. They have this highly touted recruit from Texas. His name is Cade Klubnick. And if you listen to the FSU podcast I did last week, I was talking to our FSU beat writer who mentioned Cade Klubnick. And I, I, our beat writer, he's only like 27 years old. I said, Cade Klubnick sounds like a villain in a Hanna-Barbera cartoon. He had no idea what that meant. So, Tom, hopefully you know Hanna-Barbera cartoons. And does Klubnick sound like a villain? <laughs> Saturday morning, sitting down in front of the eat my cereal on the living room floor. Well, there you go. But 
I, the, the thing is, though, it helps Clemson that if there is a quarterback, I, I really think there's going to be, unless we see a total, unless uh, we see some kind of <clears throat> transformation from DJ in the next couple of weeks, I think they're probably going to have a quarter, like the quarterback change and, and being that game being the end of November would, would help Clemson uh, get, get him, you know, get him some experience. And it, it, by then it, he would be, he would have four or five games, I guess. It depends when this change is made under his belt. So, yeah, I mean, you're right. I wouldn't no no game, especially in the ACC, especially outside of Clemson. But even with Clemson, one thing about Clemson though is their defense is really, really good. So I don't know. You know, again, we're talking about a game November 19th. I I think I know what Clemson's defense will be then. I don't think the defense is going to change. I don't know what Miami's offense is going to be. Is it going to get a lot better? Is it what we saw? You know, I just don't know. Are they going to are they going to develop that game breaking receiver? Is that is the offensive line going to improve? I don't know. So that will be the big difference here. But I I look at this tip. I I think it will be a I think it will be a huge disappointment if they don't win the Coastal. And that's crazy because they've won it one time in 18 years. But it's crazy to say, and the only time they won it, they got crushed in the championship game. They they lost me losing 38 to three. But with this conference, the way things have started, I know North Carolina's shown a great offense, and and their loss to App State looks a lot better now. So that that might be a little bit more of a difficult game than I thought coming in. But other than North Carolina and Pitt, I don't see Miami. I, I, I you know they they're going to be well they're going to be favored in every one because North Carolina and Pitt are both home, but. Other than those two, I don't see anyone else, you know, really giving them a, a huge challenge at Virginia Tech, maybe, but they'll beat Virginia Tech. So, I, I, to to me, a anything less than an AC than a Coastal Division Championship, an ACC title game, would be disappointing. Let's say they make the title game. You think that they can actually win the ACC? Because, like you said, they got stomped last time they made it there. And that will depend on what is NC State. You know, I think the NC State Clemson game is going to determine who gets there. I still think NC, Clemson right now is the better team, solely because of that defense. And if they can find any consistency at quarterback, they will. I think they are far and away the best team in the ACE, the entire in the entire conference. But let's see what North Carolina State has. North Carolina State has not been overwhelming. You know, they haven't really <clears throat> been as impressive as we thought they would be early on. Um, but I don't think there's any Wake's, Wake's good and Sam Hartman makes them a good team. They're a top 25 team. Uh, you know, see where they go, see where Florida State goes. But other than that, you know, the Syracuse, Louisville, I, I, and I know Syracuse 2 0, but uh, there's not much, there's no one else is going to challenge. Florida State, I don't think will challenge. Wake, I don't think will challenge. So I think it comes down to Clemson, NC State. And to me, it will be Clemson. And again, if they play Clemson, they'll be playing them twice in three weeks. So that will be very interesting if they wind up getting there and playing Clemson. And uh, and, and then just because that game will take on the, the whole, you know, the, the whole um, focus of that game will be what happened two weeks ago. And how did these teams play against each other November 19th before they play each other the first weekend of December? All right, long way to go before we get there, but it's fun to think ahead. I, I, I you know, this, the, it's just two weeks, and things have changed so much to me. You know, I would, I, I, you know, I, I see Miami as a favorite in the ACC Coastal. I didn't think they were going into the season. Uh, I, you know, NC State's falling a little bit. Clemson, you don't know what's going to happen to the quarter. It's just two weeks, so. Uh, you know, like you said, in two more weeks, the entire narrative will be different in four weeks and six weeks. Never mind the end, the end of November. <laughs> All righty. Well, before we let you go here, Tom, I love doing trivia with my guests. Last week we did it 
with uh, Carter Carls up there in Tallahassee. I had some FSU trivia for him. So this week I've got some University of Miami trivia, five questions. Since my bid to be the Jeopardy host failed, I just like to ask people questions now. Remember now, I haven't covered you in for a long you know, full time yet for many, many years, but go ahead. All right, let's see what you know. Uh, I'll start out easy. Can you at least name one of the two, if not both, of the Heisman Trophy winners from Miami? Well, I was there for Ben Benny Testaverde. So I, I saw and Gino Toretta, right? There you go. You're you're one and oh already. See, you're you're on track. All right. Here's the next one. Andy Gustafson, who coached Miami from 1948 to 1963, is the all-time wins leader for the program with 93. Who is second? Uh, Mike, well, only because he wasn't, he was there five years, but is it Jimmy? Nope, he would be fifth on the list of all-time wins with 52. Then Dennis is ahead of him too, right? Because Dennis, <clears throat> I think Dennis's early years, because Jimmy started off, there were like seven, six, it was seven win season. I think Dennis Erickson had a lot of 10 and 11 and 12 win seasons. That is correct. Yeah. He is number two with 63. Uh, Larry Coker is third with 60 and Jack Harding is fourth with 54. So uh, Dennis Erickson, good job working through that, Tom. <laughs> All right, number three, the Hurricanes have produced only one Hall of Famer at the wide receiver position. Who was it? Michael Irvin. There you go. Boom. Two for three so far. All right. Miami joined the ACC in 2004, but they'd obviously played many of the ACC teams before becoming a member, most prominently Florida State. So Miami is 35 and 31 against the Seminoles. After FSU, which ACC team has Miami defeated the most? Okay, is Virginia Tech considered ACC when they beat them and when they were in the Big East? Because if they are, I'm going to say Virginia Tech. Yeah, it's a good guess. That's actually uh, their third. So it's Florida State first, Pitt at 29 and 11 is second, and then Virginia Tech at 24 and 15. So pretty good try at it. Did they? Did they? I wonder if they're counting Virginia Tech wins. Well, they must yeah. be. Uh, this is, yeah, this is all-time win. All-time, yeah. So it's okay. Yep. And then Boston College is next at 24-6. and six. They haven't done well against yep. the Hurricanes. All right, final question. You're 2-2. Two and two. Let's see if you can break the tie. Miami only has a losing record against one ACC team. Which team is it? One ACC team. Again, and is this ACC play or overall? Just just overall, all-time playing teams in the ACC. The, uh, and I'll even give you the record. They are 11-14 and 14 against this particular team. Okay, so we know it's not Florida State. <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to say, I'm just, gonna, just trying to figure teams they haven't played a whole lot. Uh, North Carolina. Bam. Nice job, Tom. You nailed it. They have a 500 record. When I started that, I was North Carolina State was coming out of my mouth, and I ended it with Carolina. <laughs> well, they had a they have a 500 record against Clemson at six and six, and Georgia Tech at 13 and 13. But yes, North Carolina, they have a losing record, 11 14. That was impressive, Tom. That that's one of the best answers I've heard on this podcast in in all the episodes I've done. So all hail Tom D'Angelo. <laughs> That's right. Great job, Tom. Three and two on the trivia challenge. Very rarely do people get 
a better than 500 record. In a second, in almost a second. (laughs) (laughs) Well, before I let you go, is there anything else you want to get in front of the audience about the Hurricanes, about anything else you're working on, where people can find your work, follow you along? This is your chance. Plug it all. Doing a lot of Dolphins lately. Was out there. I went to Patriots practice the last last week when they were in West Palm Beach for two days, and then the game. I actually am going in going uh, this weekend to help out with our coverage at Baltimore as a fill-in. Um, <clears throat> so that, that right, these two weeks have been kind of Dolphins heavy. Um, but you know, Dolphins, some Canes. A lot of live golf. You can you want to read about live golf. Go to the Palm Beach Post, and you can find uh, all of that work for myself and from Joe Shad and Hal Habib and Emily Smar, our high school writer at PalmBeachPost.com, and my Twitter, which I put out as many of my stories as I can. Tom D'Angelo forty four. So Tom D A N G E L O four four, and uh, you'll find everything at those two sites and. Uh, and subscribe if you can. That'll help. All right. Is the 44 for Hank Aaron? Because I know you weren't born in 1944. No, the 44 is for, but you're on the right track. Wrong sport. I'll give, I'll give a trivia to you. It's a basketball player. But it's not Jerry West. Boy, number 44. It's got to be somebody on the Celtics. Aren't you from up in that region of the world? At one point he was, but it was weird. I, I have no idea how this started, but I came, became fascinated. This this guy was in college when I was 10, 12 years old, and he was the flashiest. He was the most entertaining basketball player in the history of the sport. Oh, boy. Uh, Wilt Chamberlain? <laughs> no, Wilt Chamberlain. No? I, I give up. Pete George Gervin. Pete Maravich. Ah, uh, Pistol Pete. All right was my idol, uh, and uh, he wound up actually in the Celtics when I was older, so it didn't mean as much. But when I was a kid and watching him at LSU and watching him his early years in the Hawk, <clears throat> the Atlanta Hawks, was uh, I-, I couldn't get enough of it. I-, I used to love watching that guy. In fact, when I was a kid, I would, uh, I would uh, cut the elastic bands out of my socks so I had the floppy socks like pistol feet. <laughs> <laughs> well, very good. See, I knew the 44 wasn't your birth year, though, Tom. You don't look like you're 78. <laughs> it's, uh, well, yeah, not, not, far, not far off, actually. So. <laughs> you feel like it some days. <laughs> A lot of days. All right, Tom. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for joining me. And yeah, I think down the road, we're going to have to talk some live golf. We were talking that off air. And, you know, they've got their season opener coming up in about a month and a or season closer coming up in about a month and a half. So I will I will have you back on and we can talk some live golf then. All right, Tim, I appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks for having me. All righty. And that's going to do it for this episode of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. I'm Tim Walters. And to quote Miami Hurricanes and Dallas Cowboys coaching legend Jimmy Johnson, Give people enough guidance to make the decisions you want them to make. Don't tell them what to do, but encourage them to do what is best. Some good advice, Jimmy. Join us again next time.